Episode 5 of ICO 41, Weekly In-Depth Analysis of Initial Coin Offerings. episode 5 of ICO 41. My name is Owen Scott and I'm your podcast host. This podcast focuses deeply on a single ICO each week and presumes some knowledge of the basics of blockchain technology. What's different about this podcast is that we read the white papers, we investigate the background of the team, and if we can, we spend some time communicating directly with the team in question. And then we report to you in detail. As always, this podcast is not intended as investment advice, nor as information to lead to any particular action whatsoever. Our aim is to inform, not to suggest. Now this week, we've decided to change it up a little bit. Instead of focusing on just one initial coin offering, we're going to be analyzing two ICOs, launching more or less at the same time, and in direct competition with each other, since they're both related to the relatively new industry of esports, and because both of them have interesting stories in their own right. The format this week may need to change a little bit in order to accommodate twice as many ICOs as usual, but because we're taking two of these ICOs, as we run through the analysis, we're going to highlight the differences of each. And if you're curious about this, the main reason for the slight departure this week is that when we did our research, we determined that featuring both of these ICOs compared to each other would tell a much more interesting story than if we had just picked one of them. Now first, before we start, let's define this concept of esports with a little bit of fairly recent history. Just in case you yourself are not an avid video gamer, or in case you're not a parent of an avid video gamer, you might not know that video gaming itself has evolved into a global spectator sport. And by this, I mean people who watch other people play video games. And I'm not just talking about a half dozen teenagers crowded around an Xbox, fixated on one or two of their best buddies hammering each other on Hearthstone. I'm talking about hundreds of millions of people. Now, this practice started, believe it or not, as early as the late 90s in a sort of professional, semi-structured way. It got off to a kind of a slow start, and then it really accelerated in 2010 with the advent of Twitch.tv. But now let's fast forward to the present moment, where researchers who are working in this industry believe that it's pretty much on track to generate close to $700 million of revenue in 2017 alone, and it's not showing signs of slowing down. To give you an example of just one game named Dota 2, since 2013 when the game was released, there has been 786 tournaments for this game with over $126 million awarded in prizes. In Seattle, about a month ago, Team Liquid, which consists of five international players, took the first prize for Dota 2, which was worth almost $11 million. But the ICOs this week under review are not trying to take on the likes of Twitch TV or YouTube Gaming or Smashcast. They're working on proposals to use the blockchain to provide the ability for spectators and even the gamers themselves to gamble on the outcomes of these tournaments. If you think about it, 
this would be inevitable, right? The proceeds of gambling associated with sports is for a long time now dwarfed the proceeds collected by the sports industry itself. According to an article in the Harvard Political Review, Americans bet somewhere near $95 million on college football in the NFL just in 2016. And that's the same year that the NFL had the best year ever at $13 billion. So if this rough factor of 5 to 1 applies to esports, then the potential market for gambling around esports is not exactly what you would call trivial. Okay, listeners, this week's upcoming initial coin offering is... Unicoin Gold and Gimli. Now, both of these ICOs seek to provide the ability for fans who are attending or viewing live stream tournaments to place wagers in real time on various aspects of the game. And both of them provide for players to bet on themselves, thereby facilitating a revenue stream for players, which, contrary to what you might believe, don't really have a stable revenue stream even with today's multiple streaming channels and over 2,000 tournaments a year. But if you think about it, unless you're one of the very, very few winners of a given tournament, playing in a tournament is an expensive proposition. And that has to somehow be offset with a revenue stream when you're not competing in a tournament. In addition to that, there's also the betting. Now, you'll find that one of these companies focuses much more on the gambling aspect than the player streaming aspect, but the point is that both ICOs seek to address the ability to easily place wagers on tournaments and on gameplay. Let's take a look at these two companies. They're quite different. The company behind Unicorn Gold is Unicorn, U-N-I-K-R-N, which is a company that's been established for two years now and already provides an existing platform to allow online wagering for esports. Wherever it is legal to bet on esports, you can bet using their platform using fiat currency. But if you're from a country where it's not legal, like the United States, you can bet using a token, which will then allow you to do certain things on the platform, but not convert it to fiat currency. It's important to understand that this existing token delivered by a unicorn, and the method of wagering at unicorn has nothing to do with the blockchain right now. The ICO is about creating an Ethereum-based ERC-20 token to reboot the platform and use blockchain technology to drive it. Now, this company is by no means the largest and most successful online betting platform for esports worldwide since this market was actually developed by companies where it's legal to make those kind of wagers, such as Britain. And the real heavyweights are British companies like Betway and William Hill. But Unicorn is an established company, and I should also mention that this is one of billionaire and celebrity investor Mark Cuban portfolio companies. We'll mention that again when we discuss the pre-sale. The company behind Gimli is very much like most ICOs that we've been reviewing here, which is essentially no company, per se, but a collection of team members that have gotten together to launch the token sale. It started out in February of 2017 as an idea, and then a project. There's no actual evidence at the moment of a company per se, so in this case, just like the other ones we've done recently, we need to focus on the team. Most of the team members are French and with a few other nationalities represented, 
They're mostly young, and they seem to have respectable business backgrounds. And there are at least two engineers who have some blockchain experience. One notable thing about this team is that there's an all-star lineup of esports advisors who are essentially former tournament winners in esports, with notables like Skyart, who has not only won tournaments but become an esports commentator. The business side of the team over at Unicorn consists mainly of Raul Sood, who sold his first company to HP and then moved over to Microsoft to run their startup venture group, and then he founded Unicorn. For the launch of the token, Unicorn has chosen a couple of engineers with experience in the blockchain and Bitcoin initiatives. When you're looking at these companies, we can say that they represent two very different voices from the esports community. Unicorn being on the bookmaker side and Gimli representing the esports players themselves. Now let's have a look at the two white papers. The Unicorn white paper is 11 pages long with about 9 pages of actual content. And the content is pretty much nothing like any other ICO white paper in that there is zero technical detail and a few paragraphs about what the token will actually do, which appears to allow people to more easily monetize their existing platform and to this is in a couple places, attract the cryptocurrency community. The title of the white paper is a decentralized esports gaming token, but the word in the title is about where the concept of decentralization ends. And there will be another token named Unicoin Silver, which is really just a renaming of the existing token. That will not be a blockchain token. Unicoin Gold will be the ERC-20 token. The impetus for the move to cryptocurrency was probably best described in an interview with Reuters where the CEO explained that the reason to move the cryptocurrency was to bypass banking institutions, which are complex when there's many countries involved and many different currencies. There's not too much evidence in the white paper that the company will be using a decentralized platform, and in various interviews it was discussed that decentralization doesn't always quite work in all cases. One of the key tenets of a decentralized platform running on the blockchain is that after the token is released, it's governed by the terms of the smart contract, not by the ongoing management of an entity. That's not really the case here. And so what we need to do is conclude from the white paper that the model is not going to include that sort of broad level of decentralization and egalitarianism when it comes to the token and its uses. There's some other serious ICO analysts that have pretty much thrown their hands up and said, I can't perform any kind of analysis on this white paper. In terms of the white paper itself, I happen to agree from a technical perspective. The Gimli white paper is twice as long and is much closer to what we would expect in a typical ICO, especially from a technical standpoint, where there are some level of details with respect to how the token will operate. There's a mathematical formula to describe the concept of dynamics odds making. There's some detailed process flows where the interface written in JavaScript touches the back end of the Ethereum blockchain. It also mentioned methods pulled from their actual code base and described in human terms how they would function. Essentially, it's a pretty well-written and respectable white paper, which makes it even more surprising what actually happened during the pre-sale and ongoing token sale, something that we're going to discuss in a moment. The interesting thing about the Gimli white paper is that it is written and conceptualized very much from the point of view of the person who competes in tournaments and, more importantly, who streams on such platforms as Twitch. 
it's worth noting that this white paper mentions a problem to solve that the unicorn white paper largely ignores, and that's the difficulty that professional gamers have in monetizing their efforts during live streaming of gameplay. This is mainly done right now through donations from PayPal and other revenue channels. It very often turns out to be stolen identities and accounts, which result in a large percentage of chargebacks. This is a real problem for professional video streamers, and I suppose it's understandable that Unicorn doesn't address it since their existing platform really doesn't have anything to do with video gameplay streaming per se. It's more of a bookmaking platform. I do feel, though, in terms of white papers, that it's worth noting as a difference because it shows the perspective that the companies come from with respect to how they're going to solve the problems in this industry. Let's talk about the roadmap for a moment. Gimli started the idea in February 2017, and by June they had some smart contracts deployed on a test net. The pre-sale occurred between September 1st and September 15th, and the main token sale started on September 18th and is ongoing right now. They have an ambitious plan to have a public beta of the platform by the end of six months after the token sale, with the project completely completed within 12 months of the end of the ICO, which is due to end in October. The last item in the timeline is for the future, and it mentions an Oracle-based bet resolution system, which I asked on Discord what that meant, and it turns out to be an interesting platform called Pandora, which allows for odds making in a more sophisticated and dynamic way that you could probably program into a smart contract. The roadmap for Unicorn is very basic. There's really three major milestones. On November 5th, they plan to have renamed their Unicorn token to Unicorn Silver. They'll have issued the Unicorn Gold ERC20 token for limited jurisdictions and full jurisdictions. I should explain a little bit about limited jurisdictions and full jurisdictions. Limited jurisdictions, an example might be United States, where it's not legal to directly bet fiat currency, and therefore it wouldn't be legal to use the Unicoin Gold token to directly wager on esports. So in those limited jurisdictions, this is the United States, the Unicoin token will have less functionality than in full jurisdictions. Whereas in full jurisdictions, the Unicoin token can be used to directly bet. The first week of January 2018, they're going to add subscriptions, betting bonuses, access to live and pre-match sportsbooks, and a subscription jackpot rooms based again on your jurisdiction. A month later, in February of 2018, the platform will be complete. Later on, they talk about future projects in the system with donations, casino games, and tournaments. I think it's fair to say that the timeline of Unicorn seems achievable, given the fact that uh, there's not a great deal of complicated technical information in the white paper, and that their rollout of the token is going to be relatively simple, and they're going to be building on top of something they already have. So I'm not surprised that the milestones could be reached as early as February 2018. I do notice, though, that uh, the donations comes at the very end, even in terms of future. So it's, again, kind of interesting to see the different perspective uh, of the companies and their approach to the uh, blockchain and what it will be able to do for the various groups. Let's talk about pre-sale and token sales. Now, for Unicorn, there was an invitation-only pre-sale that started on the 15th of September and ended uh, pretty much on the 22nd when the main sale started. I should mention at this point that there really are a lot of celebrity investors involved 
partially in the ICO, but mainly in the company itself, starting with billionaire investor Mark Cuban, who funded the company originally a couple of years ago. That's when it was added to his portfolio. There's also been a lot of press since June where it was widely reported that he will participate in the ICO itself. And this came weeks after he tweeted that Bitcoin was a bubble. I should point out that this is a position that's typically simplified by the media, in which the media is not able to make the distinction between a comment like that and the blockchain itself. In other words, they're drawing a comparison between Mark Cuban's idea about Bitcoin on Twitter and then tying it somehow as if it was hypocritical or something to invest in blockchain. But as it really turns out, the CEO of Unicorn pointed out that it was actually Mark Cuban himself who suggested a while ago that Unicorn start looking into incorporating cryptocurrency into the existing platform. So what does Mark Cuban's business idea of incorporating cryptocurrency in a platform that already exists have to do with his view on the price inflation of Bitcoin? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Mark Cuban is the kind of guy who learned about blockchain, understood it, and said, hey, reached out to his portfolio of companies and said, who can benefit from this? Looks like you guys can. Called up the CEO and said, let's go. It has nothing to do with his view on the price of Bitcoin. And so even though the media can't make that distinction, we can. Let's talk about Gimli's pre-sale and sale. It's worth mentioning first that the pre-sale and the sale itself are both closed to U.S. investors. And when I asked on Discord, I got the usual explanation. Our attorneys advised us that U.S. regulations are ambiguous. We've heard it before. The pre-sale is concluded, and the sale itself started on September 18th. And like unicorns, it's ongoing and will end in October. In terms of the operation of this ICO, however, I'm sorry to report that it would be charitably described as a disaster. And this is why it became apparent to me that I needed to cover these two events and contrast them. Because here's the interesting thing. It could be argued that Gimli had a white paper that was more thorough, a team with a little bit more experience with blockchain technology proper, and a concept that was more aligned with both the cryptocurrency world in terms of decentralization, and even from a political standpoint of sort of serving the little guy, so to speak, the, the professional and semi-professional player in this case, who has a set of monetization problems that can be solved in some classic way with the blockchain using a distributed currency for direct peer-to-peer -peer transactions, as well as ways in which to benefit from wagering without a centralized bookmaker. All of this was in place. And yet, through a series of pretty serious mistakes, it looks like perhaps the entire project is in question at this point. Now, the pre-sale ended on September 15th. And according to the website, they sold about 18 million tokens, which would be something like seven or eight million US dollars based on the token price of 700 GIM to one ether. But this is a little bit in conflict with an announcement made on Medium where it was stated that what was actually collected was a little bit closer to 1.1 million US dollars. And I'll try to piece this together in a moment in telling this story. 
The sale started on September 18th, and it, it appears that as of this moment, the sale has slowed to an absolute crawl amid some pretty serious issues. The trouble, as I tracked it on Discord, reading from beginning to now, started pretty much on the 18th, when some investors in the pre-sale noticed a large transaction entering the contract. And it's interesting to note that this sale is quite transparent. It's actually being utilized as a smart contract on the Ethereum platform. And so you're welcome to go and examine the transactions, like most of these ICOs that work this way, on Etherscan. Just watch the tokens flow in. Well, this transaction led to a series of questions and back and forth with the team on Discord, where it was eventually explained that there were some pre-sale negotiations with some large Chinese investors that fell through when China shut down Bitcoin exchanges a couple of weeks ago and effectively outlawed certain aspects of trading Bitcoin. So the Chinese investors, which had apparently promised Gimli around seven or eight million dollars, pulled out of the presale. And then that caused Gimli to change the terms of the sale and cut what is known as the soft cap in half. Now, I should explain what a soft cap is. From the perspective of an investor, the soft cap is the amount that must be raised in order for the sale to actually go through. If that soft cap is not reached, then investments are actually returned. And in fact, in most Ethereum smart contracts, especially for ICOs uh, that raise money through an Ethereum smart contract, there's a return function. It's about eight lines of code. You can go look it up. It basically returns the investment if the soft cap is not reached. It's an automatic. Well, it turns out that this contract didn't have one of those. Now, that's a very basic mistake. I mean, if you search online for a basic tutorial on how to code a smart contract for a crowd sale, literally ICO 101, you'll find that just about every tutorial mentions this return function. And every ICO that has a soft cap generally abides by it and puts it in their contract. Now, the fact that there was none in this contract, coupled by the fact that Gimli then changed the terms of the soft cap and also drastically reduced the scope of the project in order to accommodate for $8 million or so that they thought they were going to get, you might imagine that this did not sit well with the investors in the presale. So they began to demand their money back. Because as some of them argued, it's not the same project that they invested in. You've scaled back the scope and you've cut the soft cap, which is when you said you would return the money, in half. And so in the course of about five days of back and forth, the team repeatedly promised that they would be refunding the money of anyone who requested. But then on the 29th of September, they actually announced that, no, actually, we're not going to be refunding any of the money. And then they threw out a legal contract, not to be confused with the smart contract, uh, which mentioned that there are no refunds. And then... To even make it worse, they went through some ridiculous attempts to quell people's concerns. First thing they did was they announced a doubling bonus for new investors, which if you can imagine, that was pretty poorly received from the perspective of the pre-sale investors. So then when that didn't go well, they fell all over themselves and apologizing and immediately withdrawing that announcement and saying, okay, okay, 
Instead, it'll be a five times bonus for the presale investors. So we're going to issue five times the number of tokens that was issued during the presale. And anyone who wants to invest now, by the way, you get five times more than what we said. So now it's 3,500 tokens instead of 700 for each uh, ether. So this was designed, obviously, to calm the presale investors and also to help mitigate sort of the cries of outrage from those presales investors and also to sort of quell the idea that, hey, you know, we're not going to give you back your money, but we're going to give you five times as much as you thought you were going to get in a way. Well, needless to say, the crypto community has not responded kindly to this series of events. And the sale at this point is, is barely collecting an Ether, which is about $300 a day, slow to an absolute crawl. It's not quite clear whether they will even reach the soft cap now even at the halving that they've done. So you might ask, okay, if this was a smart contract and if Ethereum is open source as you say it is, as everyone says it is, then why couldn't the investors examine that smart contract and look for that return function? Well, you would be right. They definitely should have, but they didn't. And so I would just say that let this be a lesson, I suppose, uh, as a good piece of due diligence to follow when you're considering investing in these ERC-20 tokens that are issued through a smart contract where you can look at the code. Now, I realize not everyone is going to want to crack open the code and look, but to be honest with you, the code is not as dense or bad as you think it is. And also, these functions are extremely simple. So it's definitely worth taking this into consideration. But another part of this actually interests me as well. And that makes you wonder just how valuable these so-called advisory boards really are. First, during the time that all of this was going down, right when the token launched, there were all these people asking these questions on Discord, and the team was actually off. They were doing things that they probably should have been doing, like speaking at events and working very hard to this and that. But where was the advisory team, or where was anyone to answer these questions? There were several hours that went by. And you go to the website, and you see this big team of all these amazing business people. And I'm not just talking about, you know on the Discord channel just to put out fires, but what about to advise them in the first place as to what to do from the very beginning? I mean, an example is the CEO on Discord in a lively discussion about what the definition of a soft cap actually is, gave his explanation. A soft cap, from the entrepreneur's standpoint, is the minimum amount that a project needs to raise in order to get the product out the door. And yet, the team, based their original soft cap, not on that, but on how much money they figured they would make to help them achieve the soft cap more easily based on the fact that they thought they were getting $8 million from Chinese investors. So I have to ask, when you look at the advisory team and you look at and add up the decades of business experience to advise these young entrepreneurs, where is that? Now, I'm not usually a cynical person, but I think that it would be a little bit naive to imagine that some of these advisory teams might actually consist of some very valuable posted photos and biographies. Not much more than that. When you look at the token issuance for these ICOs, 
you often see that the advisory teams get a fairly healthy chunk. Well, are those advisory teams actually advising? Or are they lending their resumes? It's just an interesting question, and it seems to be borne out by, by this situation. We normally talk about the SEC compliance in terms of these ICOs on this podcast, and this week should be no different, although there's some interesting elements to this this week. Uh, first of all, just a couple days ago, it was announced that the SEC has finally gotten around to targeting a couple of ICOs, literally prosecuting them. This is the first time, and I suppose we all knew it was coming, but it's very interesting to see what's going on there. If you look at these ICOs, first of all, they're, they're issued by the same person, and they're also tied together. And when you go back and look at the white paper and then look at the, the series of events that took place during this ICO, you see that this is very low-hanging fruit. If you take a look at that white paper, I think it was Recoin is the name. It's a real estate investment coin. If you look at that white paper, it doesn't even pass the first step or the first prong, if you will, of the Howey test. So it's no surprise that they'll be going after those kinds of ICOs. But secondly, another dimension uh, is kind of interesting. I was a little bit dismayed to see it actually uh, on the Telegram channel for Gimli where they were being particularly hammered uh, based on some of their decisions, their sort of missteps during along the way. And all of a sudden, somebody comes on and says, Hi, I'm a United States citizen, and I purchased some of your tokens during the presale. It seemed like a sort of a newbie kind of uh, clueless question. And it soon led to what was obviously uh, a, a sort of troll-like or or maybe just anyway a baiting question, which very quickly led to uh, the fact that the SEC would be knocking on their door and that they would be coding the rest of their project from the jail cell. And I mean, it was it was pretty bad. And, and it was kind of, a, the way that it was delivered, I was a little bit dismayed because I can just imagine all of these European ICO people going like, yeah, this is why we're closing this to US investors, this kind of attitude. So I, I get that, but but anyway, so there was that, and uh, let's talk about SEC compliance. Now, in this case, I think that there's so much regulation that is already imposed on this industry in terms of gambling and so forth. They're so highly regulated already that I actually think in this particular case that SEC compliance might really take a back seat to whether or not the SEC is going to determine the fate of these ICOs. I believe that in the case of Unicorn, they've probably already got uh, plenty of attorneys involved examining every aspect of this, and uh, I would be very surprised uh, to learn that anything they've said in public or the way that they've designed their token would run afoul of the SEC from a purist standpoint. Uh, in terms of Gimli, uh, I, I, in terms of the way that it's designed, it sounds like a fairly utilitarian token. And when I look at some of the things that I read, you know, when you, when you try to apply the Howey test and, and you look at this common enterprise model, and you look at the, the expectation of return from an investment and whether or not it's, 
It's a security in the sense that uh, there's a speculative nature and that, that the person who's investing owns a part of the company in a way that's designed to provide a return and have a completely and totally passive involvement. Both of these tokens have a very active involvement. Uh, and I, I don't see that as being a, a big red flag. And I, I think that uh, that really what these companies really have to worry about a little bit more than that is going to be just complying very carefully with the laws on gambling. And I think they've already done that, at least in the case of Unicorn. It's obviously very, very successful so far with uh, the Unicoin token uh, that has not been prosecuted. There haven't been any big issues with uh, online gambling using that. And um, it will definitely be very interesting to see in the near future how U.S. regulators respond to the notion and concept of using cryptocurrency in online gambling. Okay, let's talk about a few of the details of the tokens themselves. The Unicorn token will be UKG. It'll be an ERC-20 token operating on the Ethereum platform. Just because they're not using that for the crowd sale doesn't mean that they won't be using it uh, in terms of their actual token, which they will be. The coin will be used for in-game purchases, um, for betting in full jurisdictions, and for prizes. The current token, again, is Unicoin, which is not a token running on the blockchain. That'll be renamed to Unicoin Silver, and that will not be an ERC-20 token. And of course, it can't be withdrawn from the platform. And that's the token that the U.S. Uh, citizens will use and, and other limited jurisdiction users will use in place of the current Unicoin token. And the Unicoin Gold token will be used in those full jurisdictions where current fiat currency is allowed. I think there's an extremely high likelihood that this token will be traded on exchanges very shortly after the conclusion of this ICO, which is ending in the third week of October. There's a sliding scale of value where the value of the token will actually rise depending on the turnout of the ICO. Let's talk about Gimli. Gimli uh, is G-I-M, and this is an ERC-20 Ethereum token based on a smart contract. Uh, the smart contract for the sale uh, can easily be looked up on Etherscan. Uh, the price of the Gimli token is set for 700 GIM, GIM for one Ether, which is what you'll get when and if you purchase it. And then after the sale is over, you'll be giving your other four-fifths of your investment. So in other words, you'll get 700 GIM for each Ether, and then you'll get another 2,800 uh, per ether after the sale and that five times bonus that we talked about. Let's talk about business viability. Well, there's clearly an enormous market for this. On the unicorn side, I have little doubt that the introduction of cryptocurrency uh, will facilitate a big part of what that company does on a daily basis and will almost certainly result in the growth of the platform, such as a sports book. Uh, as I noted earlier, the growth of both the esports industry and online gambling together ensure a viable business proposition. I believe that the unicorn platform will eventually incorporate uh, some of the um, 
ability for donations. They mentioned that they would do this in their white paper and their roadmap, and that will certainly increase the uh, usage by uh, streaming players. On the Gimli side, there's no question that the players would find this well-received and would eagerly participate in any way that would facilitate any kind of uh, stable revenue stream. There's a little bit of uh, devil's advocacy with respect to Gimli in the sense that um, if you look at some of these sports betting platforms, they they have odds makers. I mean, they have people who are full-time odds makers who inject a lot of really good analysis with respect to odds. And the Gimli platform seems to seek to do this through some clever, smart programming, as well as this Pandora outside uh, service. And I, I think, though, that, that there's probably still going to be plenty of room uh, for human injection of odds making. Final takeaway, while we do our level best to perform these analyses by reading these white papers, examining the team, looking carefully at the technology, we found this time that there's a lot more to running a successful ICO than just a good white paper and a solid team. There's actually the operation of the ICO itself. This is really important if you don't already have a successful company and an A-list of investors behind you like Unicorn does. I would argue, in fact, that the main reason why Unicorn doesn't have a brilliant white paper and an all-star list of Ethereum blockchain developers is because they probably don't need to. What happened to Gimli is a cautionary tale, not just to investors, but to any group of bright young individuals or any individuals with good ideas who want to launch an ICO without an established company. The message is pretty clear. Find yourself someone who knows how to run an ICO and run it well and let them lead you operationally through that process. We saw that last week with Health Nexus, where Simply Vital Health found a set of professionals to help guide them through that process. Now, the other thing that's very interesting to me about what happened this week, it, it sort of calls into this question of what you might call a purist approach to analysis. What I mean by that is that we value a project for the blockchain because it meets a certain set of standards that stem from the foundation of what Bitcoin and Ethereum promise, this decentralized platform, a trustless network, a series of rigidly enforced smart contracts with no central authority. So given that, is it absolutely necessary that that become the only standard as an example, we can take Unicorn. In some interviews, we heard a little bit about decentralization. We heard interest in decentralization, but it was very clear from both the white paper and also from uh, interviews and various comments that the ERC-20 token would be used in a business way and it would be managed by the Unicorn team centrally. Will that have a negative impact on the price of the token or the performance of the token? Probably not. Is it therefore okay to base your interest on a given token purely on how you think that token will perform on exchanges, irrespective of whether it follows the so-called tenants or the promise of a decentralized blockchain? Now, because I've never really been a fundamentalist in any sense of the word, I believe it is okay. 
I believe it's perfectly okay to at least let some of that inform your decision. It's absolutely great to spend a lot of time on the technology, a lot of time on the white paper, a lot of time on the team in the background and so forth. But it's also quite okay to determine whether or not this will actually perform on an exchange due to some outside forces, such as brilliant marketing, billionaire investors, and other kinds of non-fundamentalist technological factors, if you will. Ultimately, of course, what you base your analysis on is up to you. I think that ultimately, no matter what informs your analysis, we can all agree that each week brings us something quite interesting to talk about. Thanks again for listening, and I want to say special thank you to those of you who are taking the time to review this podcast on iTunes. I can't thank you enough. Have a great week. 